1: First round, I'm still so sad. Why? England so won sad. last night, Scott Tilford You should have nothing to be sad about. England won, but video games lost. Callisto <laughs> Protocol is one of the most disappointing games of the year, and it is just genuinely tragic and sad. And um, We did a whole news video on it, because I just wanted to do something called Callisto Protocol is a tragic disappointment, because it's one of those games, and, we're, and again, we'll talk about a whole bunch of stuff. This is the wind-up. This is the podcast. I'm Scott Tilford. George Josh Brown. Hello, Scott Tilford. Uh, Where we dive into the latest video games, the latest talking points in the industry, and one of the biggest talking points in the industry is what an absolute fire this game is.
2: And I have to apologize, because... because... Because I feel that this is my fault. I am so sorry (laughs) because I jinxed this game. Yes a few weeks ago, we were talking, Scott, we were talking about this year's kind of wind-down period in comparison to this time last year or the year before. And we were saying, you know, it's missing a cyberpunk. It's missing a Grand Theft Auto (laughs) definitive edition. Why don't we have anything that's come out (laughs) that's sort of been disastrous that we can talk about? And then Callisto came out, and it was not the one I was expecting to be a disaster, but it seems like it has disappointed many people, including yourself, which sucks to hear specifically because I know how much you've been excited about this game fall. That's not a sentence, but you know what I mean. No,
1: I, at the start of this year or near the, the first few months of this year, obviously we had Callisto Protocol, we had Horizon Forbidden West, you we had all these different games that were coming out and it was like, oh my God, nothing's going to be able to beat these titles and I had a, I just had a feeling for Callisto Protocol. I thought it was just, it looked so mechanically tight. It had you know, Glenn Schofield do this in Dead Space, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. His next game, it's like a Death Stranding thing. It's like blank check, do whatever you want. What the hell is this guy going to come up with? And I just thought Callisto looked so promising, like it just had everything going for it, like obviously graphically, immediately stunning, dude's got a blank check kind of thing, or that kind of general approach to it. And it just, how do you get this wrong? How could you possibly get this wrong? And I had, I had such a feeling when no, there was no review codes, there was nothing at all, and I'd bought it early, I ended up buying it on like Wednesday, hoping it would turn up early and everything. But it's just that general, that gut feeling we always have, when yeah. reviews aren't plentiful, when yep. hands-on time isn't plentiful, and just... This is why. Because the core mechanics, the core dodge system, the core feel of the game is just abysmal.
2: Well, that's it. You said, you know, how do they get this wrong? How did they get this wrong, Scott (laughs) Telford? We talked on the news video about the combat and how Mm. they've kind of botched that in terms of, you know, it being far too punishing, far too cheap, in your words, far too legitimately broken. I'm
1: saying it's right now it's legitimately broken. And I've seen that echoed online as well, you know. Is it, yeah. if it needs invincibility frames for the character after doing a dodge yeah. because you successfully dodge and then die anyway because part of the enemy's uh, like hitbox is still registering with you, which sometimes triggers an instant kill animation. So it's, yeah. it's still just, that's all that's wrong with it, quote unquote. But well, yeah. if that's all that's wrong, wrong with it, with it yeah, yeah.
2: I want to ask you a few questions. <laughs> I want to talk about the rest of the game because I've seen so much discourse online, naturally, mm. over the weekend, about the combat system, its shortcomings, how dull it is to play, how frustrating it can be to play. Mm-hmm. But as a successor to Death space in terms of its storytelling and characters and environments mm. and monster designs and death designs like is that stuff it's th- nothing like that
1: <laughs> 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 it's nothing oh, like
2: that. Oh no! It's,
1: uh if that's the comparison point which obviously it is um one of the only things that really carries over is the uh the new dude jacob or whatever the hell he's called does the same weird hunch standing animation that well, isaac does where they're constantly hunching everywhere very mean um, then yeah, it's just like as much as cause the, the thing is, I like that it's differentiable. I like that it doesn't feel like Dead Space overall. Obviously, you can see what the, you can see. This game was made by the creator of Dead Space, but it doesn't like you don't have the the level of lore. Like, there's more lore in the podcast for in terms of like the prequel podcast, um, in terms of how the game actually opens up or anything. And they just kind sort of they just rattle through their premise in about five minutes. That it's just sort of like right, the prison's been taken over. Right, okay, here's your stun baton. Right, go. And it's just like okay, what's what's happening? What's infecting the prison? Who am I going up against? Why is Sam Whitworth? Yeah, like, what's going on? Right. So, yeah.
2: Well, y- you mentioned the game, the suffering earlier yes. on as a comparison thing. And like you said, obviously, this prison being overrun by this mm. spooky force or whatever <laughs> it is. And that sounds really good. And when I talk about, you know, it being a spiritual successor to Dead Space, I definitely don't even want it to be ripping Dead Space off a lot of no. the times. I don't want it to be a one-to-one comparison more taking the ethos of that game's design and kind of expanding it out, adding new twists to certain mm. things and uh, putting your own stamp on it is kind of what I mean by that. Does it
1: not... The stomp carries across. The yeah, yeah. <laughs> <A> literal <laughs> stomp. The, it has put his own stamp on it. Well, yeah.
2: there you go. Apart from the literal stomp, like, does the world itself, you're talking there about it, not making that much of a first impression in terms of its narrative or lot, like, does it have a world that you want to see explored more? Or when they fix the combat. Is it something you're excited to go back to, or is it more an obligation?
1: It's a strange one. I'm only talking about this through the lens of how does it compare to Dead Space, because in Dead Space, you had the whole thing about planets being broken open, and look at this mining company, and then you're arriving on the, the, you find the Ishimura and all that kind of stuff. In this, for me, like I said, there's more lore in the prequel podcast because they're talking about, in this future, um, there's this place called the FSA, which is the failed state of America, where we're just going off the idea that America has failed going forward completely, and now we're all taken to the stars to become these different, and there's all these different term- like different terminologies, um, being a skip tracer is like someone who's like FTL travel kind of thing and getting right. around the galaxy. None of that is in the start of the game. Uh, maybe it gets there eventually, but overall, um, it doesn't hit you with as much upfront stuff in the way the Dead Space did. So it kind of feels like maybe it'll get there, but it's like it's so streamlined. It's just like you're a dude. Here's some combat mechanics. The prison's being taken over, but it's all presented so absolutely gorgeously. Like it looks incredible, and like it reminds me of the suffering, just because it is the idea of a prison being taken over by something, yeah. And all the prisoners freaking out and people being attacked in their cells and whatever. That's a great setup, especially for a space horror prison planet game. Um, but then immediately you're funneled into corridors and quite simplistic spaces, uh, and lots of shimmying, lots of shimmying load screens. Um, but my main issue with it is the combat, is just how broken the combat feels. Because I don't mind a straightforward linear game. Like, I mean, I love the whole 360 era. Mm-hmm. Um, Evil West is doing very well just just like that right now. Um, but yeah, I think that it's like, if you're coming to it for that immediate feel that Dead Space had, where it's like, this is a whole world. I think Glenn Schofield and the team have thought of those things, but they don't front load them here.
2: Right, that's fascinating, especially with Dead Space The remake, literally just around. I should flag that I'm still very ill. oh my
1: god, my throat. Carry on.
2: (laughs) You're a trooper. You're doing your best. I'm trying, but my throat does not want to let me. Just with Dead Space right around the corner, you know, I'm going to be playing both of those games in January, and I fear that Callisto won't fare well in the shadow of that game or with Mm. that right around the corner. I don't know. I want to ask you more about like this year in general because we've talked on the podcast and in news and in lists for the past few months, about how good this year has been. There are oh, been it's unbelievable. so many unbelievable highs.
1: Stray is not one of them, carry on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> However, in between those unbelievable highs, I think the perception of that people have about it being a disappointing year or maybe mm-hmm. an underwhelming year is because a lot of the big games have underwhelmed. Like... I'm writing right now the 10 most disappointing games of 2022. (laughs) And sometimes it can be a little bit of a struggle. You know, I might have to pull in remasters or remakes Mm. that didn't quite hit the bar to kind of, you know, be like, flesh it out amongst the... Triple A games, whereas this year it's immediately, you know, Callisto. It's immediately Gotham Knights. For me, it's immediately Dying Light Two. Big Triple A games. Oh, Dying Light Two. That weren't disasters by any means. Aren't even terrible games by any means in in a lot of cases. Mm. But certainly were not where they needed to be and not where people expected them to be. There
1: was something I was going to talk about before, before my throat attacked and I had to go and get some water, but um, there's a specific feeling that we get in gaming where you're looking forward to something, you get it, maybe the reviews aren't out there. That's what I was going to get to when I was talking about review coverage, just planting that seed of like, maybe something's up with this. And then when the reviews broke and GameSpot gave it 5 out of 10 and I saw Skillup's review just saying, I don't recommend this. And I was like, oh my god, how can you not recommend this at all? And obviously you watch the review and he does and say the thing that tipped him over was the combat. But there's something unique to gaming, this unique tragedy Feeling of it's like the your entry cost is really high, like the unit yeah. cost is really high. Um, uh, Cluster is not a full priced. T- product in terms of being 70 pounds or 70 dollars it's 40 I, I got it for 45 and um, it seems like it averages about 45 to 50 um but there's a unique feeling in gaming where it's like you've coughed up the money you've been looking forward to this thing the hype cycle sky high you've been very much manufactured and massaged in a certain way in a way that no other medium really does and um, with like you know by with uh, holding the review coverage or withholding what the game really is and just by de facto of like what a what build of the game are we getting like there's right. all that weird stuff and then just sitting there with it going like this isn't satisfying, but I've paid the money and everything else is nailing it. Um, like graphical presentation, everything is so perfect. I just want to love you, and it's like I had that with Pokemon. It's like, can you just fix the frame rate? Like, can you just make it playable? Like, because why is, are you getting these basic things wrong? And I know why. I get the I I know the developer crunch, the reality of making something this complex. Yeah, but it's just it is just sad because of that. Because like, it's a new team. Glenn Schofield's first things since Dead Space in that vein, and to get something so fundamental as invincibility frames or enemy awareness icons so that you can't just get chip damaged from someone across the room that you couldn't even see. Um, things like that to get them wrong is just... Tragic and sad on a on a production level. Like you do, you guys have put so much time and effort into this for it to stumble and faceplant at the very end.
2: Like you said, it's a shame, you know. And I think a lot of people, myself included, you know, I'm like I said, I'm saving the game for January to play it in the Mm -hmm. new year. uh, But that wasn't even influenced by review scores or anything. But those review scores that I saw coming in, like they were surprising. You know, I wasn't on the same level of hype as you, where I was thinking it was going to be a game of the year contender, Mm. but I was expecting, you know, at the lowest, for it to get seven out of tens, it to be an enjoyable old school romp. So Mm -hmm. to see those fives, to see those basic fundamentals in my opinion that they seem to have gotten wrong. Like, that is a shame. It does yeah. make you think, you know, well what what happened? You know, there were just um reports. But yeah. well, there were reports last week of them having help from PlayStation's visual arts team. You know, they've mm. got they are a smallish developer, but they've got, according to this report, 150 developers from Sony to help them finish the game. It's right. like yes, it's a smaller game, but it's had a lot of there's a lot of resources there mm. and I don't know. I just want to. I'm interested in the behind-the-scenes machinations of this game's production.
1: That is absolutely the the far and away positive. Is like the facial animation is next level. Like there's so many parts of it that just feel next gen and immediately feel next gen. It's like okay, this is what I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for something to knock me out. This immediately um, for a new IP as well. So like, can something come out of nowhere and look so complete? Um, but yeah, it's still that feeling of like just base time spent, like in a, in way more uh, QA testers might have caught the invincibility frame stuff or would have, even just like, you know, listening to audio logs that like you can pause the game whilst an audio log is on and then unpause. And then you're allowed to walk around whilst listening to it. And um, the fact that checkpoints put you like back, even if you manually save, they still put you back to whatever the last autosave checkpoint was, which is maybe before you've done a bunch of like uh, upgrades or whatever. So it's like you got to do all that stuff all over again. So things like that are just, like, raw testing time that just wasn't put in at the very end. But it does look absolutely stunning. Yeah. Um, which is why it's just so annoying. Or, like, just, it is just sad. I'm just, I'm not, like, angry. I'm just disappointed. Well, here's my
2: final question. And to yep. steal uh, Skill Up's, uh <coughs> entire framing device and Excuse thumbnail um, convention, oh. like, I think I know the answer, but do you recommend this at all? Like, is it <sighs> good in spite of its flaws? Will people get something out of it if they can trudge through with the combat like is there enough there to recommend it now or is it a case of the combat is so fundamentally wonky that it brings everything else down right now. Is through.
1: Yeah, right now. I mean, I've given up on it. Like right now, there was one encounter that I did about 20 times last night, just trying to get through it. But at some point you are just being hit from across the room for things you can't see. You can't, the dodge does not work. It is not reliable. Even if your animation plays out and you dodge, you'll still take damage sometimes, but you, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Um, it is just broken. Like it, it does just need fixing. Um, so, and it sucks. Like, I mean, I, I keep trying to play it. Cause again, it's like that. Let me love you thing. I'm like, I love the look of this and I can go for quite a, Threadbare story, like, and go for what they're serving up uh, in that regard, and, it, and it, like I said, it's so atmospheric in terms of the lighting effects and the, the gore effects are incredible and everything. The thing is, like, I will, I'll end by saying like it has such a potential, has such potential at the core of it because I did see our, our own Dan Durkin who was on the podcast last week um, put a video up just saying like look if you're listening entirely to the negative reviews you're playing yourself because look at the, how incredible this combat right. can be and there are pockets where it works like because the um, because shooting a gun works as a stun lock you can break the enemies out of their attack cycle to like to keep stunning them and then wade in with your attacks. They'll sometimes do the same to you which is what feels like the broken part um, because they'll just tank the hit sometimes one of your melee attacks will just tank that and hit you instead but you can and kinda of come at a bunch of enemies like, <laughs> like a rain what's that song? Like a rainbow? What? Like a rainbow What's that song? <laughs> I don't know what that song is I've drunk too much water What's that of that song I'm sure it was like Like a wrecking ball Like What's a that? wrecking ball Is that Casey yeah, Like a
2: wrecking yeah. ball yeah. Blah, blah, blah.
1: Miley Cyrus Yeah Miley Cyrus that, yeah. Yeah, that You can come at them Like a wrecking ball and, cool. uh, and very much take a lot of people out If you nail everything just right But it's luck based It's not skill based Because that's just the AI Not doing the thing That it might do Any other yeah. time And take you out again In theory You can do things Like You know Wound enemies Do a big charge attack Send them flying across the room Maybe they go into like some part of the environment that's mechanized and it chews them up and you get a really insane gory kill or something. Um, You know, and then because you've pre-baked holding down one of the directions to do a dodge, the next dude that runs at you, you immediately step to the side and you take that guy out really fast as well. And if you nail um, some of the timing on that stuff or just, you know, you make sure you're in the right place at the right time, you will get different parts of the hood that'll show you, okay, a weak spot opened up on this creature. So if you aim right now, you'll nail a headshot. All that stuff, again, so much potential. That's great. When that things, when those things line up, it makes you sit there and go, okay, it must be me. I must be missing something. Sheer consensus over time, sheer amount of time it happens to you. And I've got, I put a clip on Twitter. It's in the video that we just did. And the audio will be on here um, as well. At some point it is just broken because then the the next time you go, well, that felt great. I'll go do that again. You go to dodge, you die. And it's like, what like yeah. Are we? Can I enjoy this or not? Like just and that side of it only compounds the um the the tragic side of it where it's like you guys are so close, so so close. If God of War Ragnarok had the same issues, it would be getting talked about the same way because right, it would okay. just be a colossal disappointment because they wouldn't have enemy awareness meters or the dodge wouldn't work or you couldn't block or whatever.
2: I have a suspicion with this one, Scott, yes. and, and and we won't know until <laughs> I play it in a month or three weeks or whenever January when comes it, around. Yeah. I worry, and I think this might be a classic wind-up <laughs> example of me ending up liking something, because right. I don't know, obviously, from first-hand experience how bad this combat is, but I have seen good reviews out there. Like you said, Dan yep. Durkin, who says that there is something, if you can put up with the this broken stuff, there's something there to love, and yep. I wonder whether we end up with a situation where you're like, this is broken and I'm like, it's not that bad, but we'll see. It's not invalidating well, what you just said. I'm just, no. I can almost see the writing on the wall of coming back to this podcast. And well, me that's being, the thing, Scott, right? I love this video game.
1: That's the big variable is how much is intentional on their part. Do they want you to have invincibility frames if you dodge? Do they want to? Do they still want the enemy to be able to tag you even if you successfully dodge? Um, is that a thing that they think artistically is contributing to a sense of fear and a sense of foreboding and a sense of you could still die at any time? Do they want you to look your way through these experiences like and these combat encounters? Maybe. Mm. It doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel intentional. It feels broken, right. um, especially when parts of the environment can take an enemy out and you'll still get the canned animation of them killing you. So things like that like, they just need to be polished. Then you've still got, like I said, stuff like the checkpointing system and the health system. Um, little things like that. Some stuff I get is intentional. Some stuff feels like it's so close to the finish line and not there. I was like, I've mentioned on the video, but I watched Maximilian Dude, who's like a big streamer, compare it to Resident Evil 4 because in his chat, they were like, well, what what does this do wrong when Hmm. games like Resident Evil 4 have hordes of enemies coming at you and he was directly comparing them and talking about how there's invincibility frames in there and how like the way that the AI doesn't bum rush you, like you're not getting hit off camera um, very often and usually you know something's coming at you. So all these little things that need to be put in there if that's the combat model that you're going for it's in a fascinating place because I'm rooting for it. Like, I think that every other part of its rollout has been masterful, like genuinely masterful. Like there's a, there's a real feeling of a veteran absolutely nailing it like across the board. Um, and I'm not like a massive fan of, um, Glenn Schofield's like that much, but I know his work and like watching him appear on, he did like a wired interview. There was the prequel podcast. He's been out there very vocal on Twitter. Like, you know, he was very ex dead space. He was very FEA as well, which people were like, yeah, go you like every bit of it has been perfect until right now. Hmm. And it's just like, oh my God, you fell at the very end. Um, so I'm rooting for them to, to bring it back.
2: What a shame, man. And again, I can only <coughs> apologize because in the uh, podcast we did last Wednesday, or I guess last Thursday, we were talking about, you know, this weekend being packed with games, having mm. Callisto, having Midnight Suns, having Need for Speed Unbound. Mm-hmm. And we all said, me, James Dows, and Dan Durkin, Callisto will be fine. That's the one that's a shoe of fire. bet. that'll be all right. It'll be one of the <coughs> others that tanks so or is disappointing.
1: No, I should say that if you told me months ago that the card-based Marvel game versus the sort of, Risky our aesthetic or whatever you want to call it of Need for Speed. I always loved the look of Unbound, but I, a lot of people were like, oh my God, it's all cell shaded what the hell is this? Versus the next game from the Dead Space guy that they would roll out in opposite orders in terms of where I... Like, I put Callisto at the bottom of those three. I've been lucky enough to be able to afford to play all three of them since Friday, and Clister is the one that is by far the worst one. Yeah. Um... But it's the one that has the most ground to cover and the easiest ground to cover.
2: You were talking about there it being inverted in terms of the ones that you liked the most. Mm. What is the one that you've liked the most out of those three games that came out on Friday? It's
1: definitely Need for Speed. Um, it? But it's followed very closely by Midnight Suns. Midnight Suns is a game that I was playing going, I hope this doesn't flop. I hope this doesn't fail because it's... Uh, Midnight, I started talking Need for Speed mm-hmm. and I talked about Midnight Suns. I'll get to Midnight Suns. Um, Need for Speed is just such a beautiful, confident arcade racing game. The kind of design that people like me have wanted in a racing game for so long. Because this is a uh, criterion. so it's um, there's a lot of uh, burn up paradise in this, like in terms of the overall like world design, the map design, and it's just so immediate. Like if you like. Um, Burnout Paradise and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Okay. Um, it's, if you just mesh them together, that's this game.
2: I didn't even realize that it was open world until mm. I was reading some of the uh, like first impressions after the fact. Like That completely oh, really? passed me by for whatever reason.
1: No, they do a really cool thing with... Uh, <laughs> this is a really weird thing to say. There's grind in this, but okay. in a way that kind of works because like certain races, um, you need to have buy-in. So it's like, if you're spending all your money upgrading your car or you're spending all your money on absolute drip up the wazoo, because there's so much drip in this game. I'm probably using the term incorrectly, but there's so, works. so many clothing items, so many cosmetic items, so many different ways that you can uh, create wraps and decals and stuff for your car. You can absolutely get lost in that side of it if you want to. And I, I really love the character creator and the car customization as well. And um, it has the Forza style thing where it's like community created libraries or libraries. Yeah. And you can just bring them back in. So if someone's made like a really cool looking anime design, you just paste it right onto your car. It doesn't cost you anything. But yeah, in terms of the um, actual race progression, um, you have this whole thing where it's just sort of like you can actually either spend your money on the buy-in some of them are free but then it's like you might have to grind out one of the free-to-enter races to get enough money to do one of the buy-in races to get more money and then when you're back in the open world the car, the cops are now onto you because street racing is like illegal in, in this lakeshore place yeah. um, which is the name of the city and so it's like okay can you actually get back to the uh, your garage to bank all the money that you have or should you stay out longer and do more races and raise the heat and then you'll have like up to like a five it's like, a, it's like five flame icons uh, where different types of cars come come after you but if you get busted you lose everything
2: nice so it's, that's a it's cool really little cool. risk reward <coughs> gimmick to the to the gameplay there you were mm-hmm. um i think was it you who put on twitter someone put on twitter like some screenshots from the game talking about how gorgeous it looks yeah it's insane and how does that stack up because obviously a lot of the focus has been on the kind of street aesthetics you know the kind of graffiti the the kind of like more stylized flair of it but like in terms of the cars and the presentation, the photorealism of it, that looks like really impressive as well. It's it is, yeah. a, is it a next gen only game? Yes. I'm making that up okay. No,
1: it's next gen only, so that does mean it's on Series S, but yeah, Series S, Series X and PS five. Um, so all the characters are cel shaded. Um, the thing is, I wish they went further with the cel shading uh, in the actual the cars and the environments because I feel like when they initially showed it off, it felt like the whole world was kind of like that. And then it's like when you get there for the real game, it's the characters are entirely cel shaded, and then you've still got like realistic looking cars. They have definitely have like an effect on them, but it's mm. not as like you know it's not rendered the same way like a Forza or a Gran Turismo is but I kind of wish they went further like for the seven people who are listening to this who played Auto Easter on the PS2 that's (laughs) what I wanted this to look like um and so there is that side of it where it's kind of like mixed in terms of like you have anime characters or cel-shaded looking characters in like a realistic world I think it works well enough and the cars have loads of things coming off them that's what makes me think of Spider-Verse like there's lots of little doodles coming off them lots of little um you know like effects that come off the tires when you screech there's loads of smoke when you're doing drift that's all cel-shaded as well nice so there is this sort of general idea that like a sketch artist just went crazy over a Need for Speed game um, and like various fonts are laid on top of each other and like and that side of it I think gives it so much life like I it, it made me think of SSX Tricky and, and it's like honestly this is the first EA Big game in, right, like, in like okay. a decade or something. like Whenever the EA Big label stopped, yeah, this has EA Big all over it. Like it's just like the way that all the different transitions work, all the different ways all the icons animate, and the way that just the soundtrack is like lockstep with the overall presentation of it. There's such a vibe to the whole game that is like, they used to just knock that out of the park back in the day. Like the SSX series, Freak Style, whatever, Def Jam. Like this is very Def Jam. Um, which is something that I absolutely love. And I think that it it permeates like the feel of the racing as well. It's very arcadey, lots of nitrous, lots of like, you can either tap nitrous to bank like, or to use one of the three segments to just like boost ahead, or you can hold it and do like a more considered thing. And so that's a really cool idea as well. Um, you can sideswipe dudes off the road but it doesn't do the takedown cam burnout style but you, you are like rewarded for like knocking people away and there's loads of dialogue between the racers because you'll just sideswipe someone and you'll hear them in the distance just go, oh so it's like that and they'll try and get back <laughs> and it's like you get rivals you can place bets on who you think you'll be able to beat Um, just all that stuff is just so confident it's just it's great like it's such a great arcade racing game with like enough simulation stuff enough tweaking enough that kind of thing
2: it's man this game has been done dirty if it's this totally. good because I feel like EA has buried it completely Mm. you know it came out on the day of Callisto protocol it came (laughs) out on the the day of Midnight Suns after only being announced a few months ago and there were no reviews at launch that I was Uh, aware of you know it just feels like it's come out and as a result I was reading um, online earlier I think it was a games industry biz article Mm. reporting that it had sold like 63% less than the speed and it's just a shame if the game is of this quality like why is EA doing this to certain franchises? as weather you know they're- them out in letting them die.
1: They had like a weird thing with this where they had the Palace Edition where you would spend like it was like 10 or 20 pounds more or dollars more to access the game a few days early so like lots of people started getting Unbound on Wednesday um, and then waiting for the actual reviews on Friday but like the way they split that just like yeah why? Like you know let people get out there and see how good it is because yeah hands down like I said this feels really EA big but this is like the best arcade racer since Burnout Paradise and I don't even rate Paradise that much personally I prefer Takedown or whatever. Me too. Um, But if you grew up on Need for Speed Underground or just Need speed games in general hot pursuit or the old burnout games this is one of them um and it's been so long since there's been one of them and i think that when you add on um there's a nice enough story here of because a lot of people are bouncing off the dialogue which i totally get like i'm one of the people who hates marvel style dialogue i hate constantly quippy bs like it gets in the way of stuff
2: yeah you've never mentioned that i should before. probably
1: bring it up more so yeah honest. it's just, yeah it's it's a bit annoying and if you really bounced off the saint's row dialogue that was a uh, saint's row is an encapsulation of what not to do um, underground, sorry, Unbound is kind of like that in terms of like everything is light hard, everything's equipped. I quite like the story setup. I think that it has like, quite a long. You don't even realize you're in the tutorial until you get a late title card, and it's like, oh, so all of that was preparing us for this. Mm. Um, and I quite like the reliance on the story. Like, there's a whole thing about a rivalry that kind of happens, and I really like what they do with that. It makes me care about a Need for Speed story <laughs> in weird. a way that I've Strange never sentence. cared before. Um, and I never played Need for Speed: The Run, so I guess all the people who played The Run are just going like, no, that's the story Need for Speed game, which I totally care. But still. I care about the person that I made, like my character. I care about the, the general like layout of the world. I like the whole thing about how whatever happens in the tutorial, there's then like if there's a three year jump after that, and it's like okay, because of what happened, street racing is now completely illegal, so the police uh, clamp down on everything. Yes. Um, and so street racing is even more illegal, but it's worth even more. And everyone's trying to get back out there. And there's this whole thing about a rivalry and whatever. I just think it's such a confident package. Like I said, it's like there's been a need for speed. And Very good. Arcade racing across the industry and the likes of Dangerous Driving, which was made by ex Burnout devs, um, didn't fill it. Like I, I liked Dangerous Driving, but it was like a carbon copy of Burnout 3 yeah. Um, without like a lot of the punch of the takedowns. But it was enough. It was fine. Um, But at the same time, when Criterion slash EA remastered Burnout Paradise, that was in theory to test the waters for a new proper either Burnout game or arcade racer. And this is absolutely that game. And Need for Speed has not been this good no. in so long. Like, the heats and payback sucked, and 2015's reboot was terrible. Yeah. So, like, this is great. That's brilliant to hear. You've almost it. convinced me to get it. This
2: year has been quite good for racing games, mm. I think. You know, obviously, we've had the carryover from Forza Horizon 5 releasing at the end of last year, getting more content this year. We've had Gran Turismo 7. We've uh-huh. had Grid Legends. Now we've had Need for Speed Unbound and a lot of other smaller titles within those gaps. Mm. And it just feels like people are eating well if you're a racing fan. Yeah, man.
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
3: This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data. And a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates And
1: then that's the thing, I think there's a, like, for the longest time, it was like, well, Forza blew up, so let's just chase that stuff down, we'll do simulation-type racing, obviously that came off Gran Turismo and whatever else as well, but for the longest time, there's just been an, a need, a need for an arcade racer, something that just acknowledges that that used to be a whole market, um, like, even, like, the old-school Need for Speeds were like that, and so I like uh, an open-world map, that, like, you take the best of Burnout Paradise, the an open world that's filled with, like, stunt ramps and things to collect, and parts that, you know, like, maybe you're hoovering up uh, like different parts of graffiti that you can then use as as your part of your decal on your next car or something. Um, it's just it's a fun world to explore. The races are really cool, and the, the actual racing itself feels really, really tight and responsive. And you can also pause at any time and uh, just tweak your car's handling a little bit. Yeah. So if you want to be more like burnout, you can make the drifts huge, so you can slide right around everything, or you can tighten it up and make it a bit more simulation style. Um, that also goes hand in hand with all the um actual car tweaking stuff. So like you know, one of the first things you have to do is get an A grade car. So it's like well, you could go out there and grind out the currency and buy an A grade car, or you could put the time into building things up. Yeah. Get a the different exhaust parts and drivetrains and whatever, p- pulling two random car parts out because <laughs> uh, I don't <laughs> I know no cars. Idea where they are. I don't know cars. <laughs> I just I hover on the menu and then if a number goes up, I buy that one and yeah, then I yeah. go to the next one um, and then make that like your A grade car. And with, you know, alongside this incredible visual customization on the character side and on the car side, is just so, so delicious to drink in. Like, I have loved my time with Unbound. That's amazing. Absolutely man. loved every second of it so far. And the soundtrack is incredible as Yo, well. Yo, I'm convinced. You have convinced it's me. It's a lovely time. That EA Big might be back, which is yeah. the best news that I've had
2: perhaps all year.
1: Like, that's the thing. If they branded this as the return of EA Big, it would knock it out of the park. Like, they would, if this was the game that relaunched the EA Big franchise uh, or branding, because I'm just thinking, do it ssx with this style like why not like like character wise do cell shading or whatever you need to do and have sort of semi-realistic looking levels and have the have the whole game have this beat to it like just yeah there's so much more potential there that they could do so i i um i also saw that same headline about it not landing as well sales wise but i just i just hope people check this game out if you if you love arcade racing it's perfect hopefully it has the
2: legs if it gets Mm. a good you know spread of word of mouth if it's Other people are enjoying it as much as you. Hopefully Mm. it does have that longevity in it. And hopefully EA can finally decide on an identity for this franchise because it's been going back and forth on a bunch of iterations for years now. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to... Come back in two years' time and see another Need for Speed game with another subtitle, with <laughs> another art style, with another style of gameplay
1: focus that just kind of comes and goes yet again. That was the thing with this was that when they first uh, showed the trailer for it, it was only two or three months ago, it only really got announced like a few months ago. Um, I loved that EA were taking such a risk with it, and I don't, you know, you, you shouldn't view a, a random cel shaded art style as a risk, but it is to EA, and I imagine that the, a lot of the boardroom meetings they had to have to get this over the line finish line. <laughs> um, must have been a big deal, but I love that they still went for it. I was just every second I'm playing it, I'm like, I love how much money was put into this. Nice. Um, I love that they that EA have backed this. And there's no, I mean, maybe there are microtransactions in it, but I've not noticed them. Um, if there are, I think there probably are a way to pay your way through it somehow, um, but it's not remotely in your face, which it would have been really easy to do with the amount of customization that is in here. Um, speaking of microtransactions, Midnight Suns has them. Tell me more. Um, I can't tell you that much. I've not interacted with them, but you can. There is a premium currency in that game, um, which is one of the only knocks against it. Hence, it uh, securing the second spot in the t- in the right. three of the weekend.
2: Is that why? That's what we were talking about um, on the last week's pod. We were mm. talking about the potential for this game, what but. A game the idea of it being monetized out the wazoo in terms of the cards (laughs) and all of that jazz. Uh But outside of that, is it good? Because I've seen nothing but incredible reviews for this game. And on paper, it's a kind of inscription-style deal where... It's not my subgenre, but mm. the quality of the reviews, the the word of mouth that I've seen makes me think maybe I'm a Midnight Suns fan. Maybe I need
1: to buy that immediately. I'm. I keep telling you, you've got a deck builder's heart. I don't think that's true. I but... think it is. You're the Grinch <laughs> at Christmas. Just need to realize it's there. It's been there all along. Um, yeah, Midnight Suns um, is a deck builder. is more of a deck builder than an Inscription in terms of being aware of the cards that you're going to be playing. Um, going forward. But like, yeah, the the, the fact that this is FireAxis, the fact that it's the XCOM devs, for so long, and obviously XCOM Enemy Unknown when it came out, when it was rebooted or whatever in 2012, was such a moment for strategy fans, because it was like, oh my god, this is perfect. It's like, what you give to anyone who care who cares about uh, grid-based strategy. And I love that FireAxis, again, it's one of those games where you just sort of sit back and you're like, I'm so glad so much money was put into this. Um, you know, obviously FireAxis being given their crack at a Marvel game, yeah. and then being like, we're not just going to do a turn-based strategy game, it's not just going to be like Transformers, that devastate, whatever that One was that just came out, Rise of the Thingies. There was a turn-based, grid-based Transformers game. I'll believe you. It was terrible. Okay. Um, I almost bought it because I love everything (laughs) grid-based, and I didn't, but... With this one, they were just like, what if we just ripped up the entire rulebook? What if we didn't care about grid-based stuff? What if we didn't care about taking cover anymore? What if you just, you know, you still have your cards, you're still sort of like doling the hand out, but you can burn them and replace the cards per hand, uh, per turn. And what if we just got super inventive with all the different character abilities? Like Ghost Rider can just create a, like a portal to hell in the middle of any level, and then all your other characters can just throw people in it, like <laughs> as, as just part of your turn. And there's loads of environmental destruction stuff. Like every um, enemy can be bounced off Someone else or bounce into the environment, and um, you can chain loads of things together. It's very Mario and Rabbids. Um, Mario and Rabbids is low key super influential if this is the case. Yeah. Um, because Mario and Rabbids was less about sticking to the, um, you know, per turn structure and more how many things can you chain together per turn. And just like in Mario's case uh, for the game, it's like, well, I'm going to run over here, I'm going to jump on my dude, I'm going to cross some distance, I'm going to land on another guy, then I'm going to take out two dudes, and then I'm going to plant something and do whatever. And that's my turn as opposed to just I'm taking a shot and that's my turn. Yeah. So in this, it's all like that. It's all superhero combos and who works well with each other and everything else um, mixed with just or topped off by Unbelievably good animation, nice. like just such punchy, really fun, weighty animation. Reminds me of Batman. You know, Batman, just like folds a guy in half, Hell and he's yeah. like, "Oh, they're just in the hospital." Like, no, they're dead. <laughs> like everyone's animation in this is just breaking people in half, slamming them through walls. Like it's so satisfying. Well, how does it
2: work as a superhero game? Because mm. every bit of discussion that I've seen on the title is how good of a deck builder it is, how mm. good of a tactics game it is. But the I, the fact that it is a Marvel game almost seems secondary so how does mm. it work with the kind of story how does it, how are these characters implemented in terms of their narratives and characterization like does it would this game be just as satisfying if it wasn't marvel or does marvel
1: give it the brandy give it an extra edge it definitely yeah. elevates it this is a way, this is a way better marvel game than the avengers was nice um because one thing worth saying is that i didn't realize i could care about marvel again like the mcu is just like driven stuff into the floor i just don't care like the phase 4 stuff i'm just checked out that's um, i've never heard you say that before <laughs> <laughs> Again, I should talk about it more. But the uh, story here is like is really really cool. So it's like you are know, this whole thing where there's I don't know wider Marvel characters. Like I didn't know Agnes Ag- Agatha Harkness. That's right. Yeah. Until WandaVision. Um, But I think there's a whole bunch of, like, wider witch stuff in Marvel that I just didn't know about at all. Um, But there's a whole idea that this character called Lilith has been brought back, and then you sort of play as, like, her daughter. So, uh, or father, I mean, or son, rather. I'm I'm playing as a woman, but you do whatever. Um, And it's sort of like, you're this ancient person who's battled her eons ago called the Hunter. And you're brought back, you're resurrected uh, by Doctor Strange and uh, Nico, someone who I didn't know either. Um, to fight this like ancient evil. And it's like, okay, she's mind controlling different characters. So one of the first bosses you go up against is like evil venom. Ah, um, But you're also building your team. And then the whole superhero side of it is, like I said, it made me excited for Marvel because it made me excited to see what their version of X character is. And every time in my head, I was like, oh man, I've not met Spider-Man yet. And he's really Mm. cool. I've not met Wolverine yet. They're really cool. Their costumes are incredible. And knowing that you're going to get like the combat side of it, you know that you're going to get a series of characters that are, you immediately start thinking like, well, I bet Spidey can combo up bunch of things together but he's gonna be effective in this way that I'm already thinking of Yeah, Um, because you have so many many different like traversal options or whatever in combat like the first time I played as Ghost Rider um, it flagged that he can grab like a lamppost uh, (laughs) or just like a big sort of like part of the environment and slam it down on two dudes because they're standing in a row And so it starts making you think in that way, which you never thought of in XCOM. Like, the idea that Captain Marvel has a photon beam that just damages everything in a row. It's like, well, let me line up all these dudes. Let me smash a toolkit off some dude's face so he stands in this place, and then I'll finish them off with Marvel, uh, Captain Marvel. So it's that side of it. So, yeah, in terms of the superhero thing, you play as this character called the Hunter, who is new to the world, and they could have Draxed it. They could have easily Draxed it, which they kind of do. They do a couple of little lines about um, them just sort of saying, oh, what's the internet, and whatever. Right. But they're so self-serious and because it's like very bioWare style you can make your dialogue choices very serious and you can say like don't doubt me don't don't st- don't um, you know? Question me on this. Like, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to kill this person. And there's a whole like morality system in there, very Mass mm-hmm. Effect style. Um, characters will remember this kind of thing. Uh, kind of thing. You also have different point totals based on who you're talking to, because if they're friendlier to you, they'll work better with you when you're out in combat. So you're encouraged to try and like you know make friends and everything. So that side of it, I think, is really really good. I think it, it sort of takes the box of like, what if you were inducted into this wider world of superheroes, um, with a good power set? You feel like you're capable, but you're still encouraged to go talk to everybody and hang out. That's the side of it that. People people have uh, bounced off because it's very like, it's like what an X-Men game would have been. Like if you were like a new student and you're going to go to the X-Mansion and it's like, okay, do you want to go fishing with Wolverine? Do you (laughs) want to hang out with... I do, you know, I really do. Pam, totally does. And so it's that whole thing of like, you know, you can spend time uh, or more time around the Academy, like becoming friends with everybody um, and doing all those things. I've just been doing whatever lets me prioritize the combat again, whatever gets me back out again. Let me pick the next mission. That side of like... Marvel representation of like making it exciting to meet your heroes. Um, and then you think about the combat utility of them. I think they nail that stuff. Like I, I've loved meeting everyone in this. Um, and this like I said, the animation is incredible. It looks so good. And yeah, because you have so much agency in the conversations that you're having, um, having Blade in a game, I've missed him.
2: Oh, Where don't. has Blade been? Where has Blade been? Scott, tell me the weekend I bought the 4K version of Blade 1. Did you? This is what's making me think I want this game, because aesthetically, uh-huh. it looks right up my street, yeah. and it's got all of the characters in there that I like, including some, like Blade, that oh. you don't see in video games all the time. And it's even though the gameplay itself might not be shouting out to me, the aesthetics in the characters absolutely are, man.
1: I think because you've done enough inscription where you know what it means or what it feels like to play a card that will attack three opponents at once. It's uh, it's amazing to me. I know. You upgrade Blade's move so he can dart around the battlefield. Because that's another thing that they've just ripped up the rule book on is placement. It doesn't matter how far someone is away from you. You can run all the way over there and do a move and then pick up a, whatever it is, some part of the environment, some uh, piece of cement and smash that into a dude and then run all the way over there and do something else. Blade's cards, when you upgrade them, let him uh, glaive people and take life back nice. or just take on like 3 dudes at once stuff like that is uh, is really really satisfying well tell me more because
2: earlier on you said I will try about, with this um, <laughs> you were talking about Xcom and how that's like the perfect game to give to people who are big tactics fans and mm. who are new to this genre like mm-hmm. does Marvel Midnight Suns have the same sort of accessibility as someone who might feel a little bit intimidated by a deck builder by a more mm. tactics oriented uh, gameplay style yeah, like, I would say so is it is it does it ease you into it in that way and make it um Fun to play for a novice as much as it sounds fun for someone like yourself. Who's yeah, more I think expert. so. I
1: think because of how different the combat is, it's it's hard to um, like recommend it against anything else because if you were going to get into like the turn-based strategy genre, then you almost would want something to be more grid-based because that's more traditional. But at the same time... I really like... I mean, it's, it's interesting that we've had, like, two games like this this year. Yeah. Uh, Mario and Rabbids, Sparks of Hope, and this. Both do away with their grids. They both just give you radiuses that you can move within, and it's like, okay, like, this frees everything up. Um, you're still restricted a bit in Mario, but in this you can do... You can go wherever. Yeah, I think because they kind of have to sell a whole mainstream bunch of people on why this combat model is interesting and makes you think in different ways in terms of, like, analyzing, like, enemy patterns or whatever it is, they, um, yeah, they nail it. Like, I think that they the way they play their cards, ah! what's wrong with my head... Um, It's very, very effective. And and yeah, I mean, I would just give this to anybody in terms of like maybe part of you is curious what a a more turn based game can be like. Because I feel like turn based stuff has such a bad rep. Yes. uh, People just go, oh my God, it's turn based. I've got to watch the animations instead of playing them. Oh, I'm done. That's me. It is you, but well, but maybe it's less you now than it used to be. I'm thinking you've you've played through Inscription. This is it. I'm
2: thinking it might be, Scott. Mm. Because Inscription was a good gateway. And Midnight Suns similarly seems like a good gateway drug. You know, it gets me in with the Marvel characters. It gets me with the kind of perhaps more forgiving framing or certainly slightly innovative framing that's not as demanding as a proper grid-based tactics uh-huh. game. So maybe it has all of the ingredients to unlock a genre for me, which is what I like. I like getting a proper new genre just completely unlocked.
1: I think you would really like it. I think, and as well, because the animation is so satisfying. Like I said, on the character side, you are demolishing dudes. But at nice. the same time, there are so many parts of the environment that don't count as a uh, playing a card. But if you have hero points built up, different cards will give you hero points. Um, you can burn them to just kick a couch at five guys or kick a part of the environment at someone. That, again, adds to your combo thing, and I think that makes it so satisfying, like, you know, as a way to tackle a bunch of dudes. My big question is, Scott, you've got these
2: three games, you've got
1: Inscription yet
2: to finish. How are you going to get through them all before Crisis Core, Final Fantasy VII, Uh, Reunion drops in, like, is that this week or next week? It's very uh, soon. Uh, 16th, I think. I want to say it's the 13th, but I could be wrong.
1: I could also add on Mario and Rabbids and Rogue Legacy 2 and Bayonetta 3, but... Please don't add on that. I just downloaded Fortnite and played that instead, because the feel like Unreal you, Engine 5 is out now.
2: You are you are literally sick right now, yeah, but yeah. also figuratively sick. Yeah. How do you have the time?
1: Uh, I don't, to be honest. Uh, very, very little gets focused on. But in terms of uh, the current rollout, I... Uh, well, if they the, if they fix Callisto, yeah. that'll then be prioritized. Okay. Right now, I'm just tandeming between Need for Speed and, and Midnight Suns. Have you put your Christmas decorations? No. Up yet? No. no. What's that? What's Christmas? <laughs> Who's this? Video games is life. life. Video games is all. Yeah. Can I get this two days early? But um, yeah, I, uh, all three of those games have their positives. Midnight Suns and Need for Speed absolutely way more as, as, as full packages. You can just give them to people. If you like Marvel, if you like arcade racing, dive in. You'll have an incredible time. Callisto is something that I'm still. I'm just waiting on. I've already seen Glenn Schofield. The Director um and striking distance studios like tweeting saying, We're we'll, we'll getting there, we hear you, we'll fix it. Do you
2: know what's really funny? Go I thought eh, i like, you trying to
1: do this podcast with this throat? That is quite funny, but what's even funnier oh. is
2: that and I don't want to again I don't I'm not ragging on this game. I just find it quite um humorous as an observation yes. because it was so tacked on that Callisto was going to be good that when <laughs> the game awards were announced, we were all thinking, Well, this sucks. Yeah. The Cal- Callisto Procol won't have the chance to compete. And now it's like it never had the maybe chance Jeff to compete knew. by it. Yeah, Maybe, maybe Jeff, Jeff always knew. <laughs> knew. I just thought that was a funny thing because it was similar to Cyberpunk where it was like, oh, is Cyberpunk going to miss out? And It didn't matter because Cyberpunk <laughs> absolutely crapped the bed and Callisto has done something very similar. Whereas now going forward, if a game misses or comes in right at the end of eligibility Mm. for the
1: game awards i'm going to be suspicious about it this yeah i mean the thing is like all of they've got so much dlc and story stuff and whatever else planned for next year that it makes me like it's one of those things where it's like Callisto's game of 2023 because that's the actual launch because they've actually fixed the fundamentals um but i guess we'll see how it goes um you finished inscription though we should end on the old inscription maybe we'll do more stuff on it.
3: Yeah,
2: we should do more stuff on it. But yeah. I finished that game, and what a bloody good surprise that was! We briefly talked about it in the Monday pod. Because um, I think are doing a video
1: on it's the best game of 2022 that no one's played. That's it. Mainly because it came out last year on PC, it's, and now it's on console. That's
2: the issue. We will get a lot. We will be slagged off for saying that it's a 2022 game because the you PC slags. They'll some <laughs> us will be saying, "Don't be daft. It came out <laughs> in 2021." <laughs> but if you know anything about what culture gaming is, that we ignore the PC release date. Things. releases are all that matter. And we only go off console releases because that's what most of us have. But yeah. yeah, Inscription as a game, incredible man. Like the twists, In that title, to me, were just fascinating. Every single time I got to one, and I would argue there are three big gameplay shifts within that um, game, every single time one of those happened, I could not put it down. And I know you might not have necessarily the same opinion on those shifts that I do, Mm. but it was a game that constantly subverted my expectations in a good way and constantly gave me more than I ever anticipated. And I knew it was going to be good. This is with my expectations of knowing (laughs) people love it and knowing it was going to be weird. And even with those expectations in mind, it was uh, something really special. I don't know whether it'll get in my top five, but it'll certainly penetrate my
1: top 10 of the year in some form. There's uh, something to be said about games that can still be mysterious in 2022, yeah. and the way that this thing plays its hand <gasps> is incredibly effective. And I think I love the way that they like kind of play like, like threw you for a loop because to not give anything away, Inscription is a card based game where you're sort of like you're basically just start the game and you're facing off against this weird entity that you can't see. It's a set of eyes in the dark, and you're in a cabin. It's very spooky. It's very like what the hell, what the hell even am I? What's going on? Am I trapped here? Is this human? What the hell? And it's just like and this thing just wants to play cards with you. I play a certain game with you, um, which is really cool. It's very Hand of Fate, but where Hand of Fate is more like third-person Arkham-style combat for the actual interactions when you play the cards, this is like a card game. It's more of like a Hearthstone thing. And I think the thing that made me bounce off initially was that the tutorial was a little bit okay overcome this exact scenario with like, the exact cards you have and all I wanted to do was was like try different strategies I wanted to build a deck and try different things and you do get to do that over time but the thing that's really incredible is that at any point you realise you can stand up and walk around the cabin yeah. and that's not an overarching thing for the game but it is an indi- it is an indicator of what they capitalise on later that is kind of just anything goes yeah. and uh, there's basically three main acts I'm at the very beginning of the final act now but the places this game goes the different game design elements that are in here um, it, again it's like seven people get this reference, but it's very frog fractions. <laughs> no uh, it's get very that frog at all. fractions too, which you'll have to watch a video of frog fractions too when you get upstairs. Okay. Um, this implies we're in a basement or something. <laughs> but, um, but still games that can um, can just, it's it, it would be classed as subverting expectations, but games that have other games inside them, or other mechanics inside them, or other entire ideas that you would not even see coming, yep. I think are so worthwhile to recommend when they're done this well. 100%. That sense of mystery
2: is absolutely its driving force, and mm. you know, like you said from something as simple as realizing you can stand up and look around <laughs> the area you're playing cards in and what is going on with this clock on the wall, what is going on with this locked safe, you know, it gives you all of these mysteries that you're holding in your head and trying to figure out as you play. Mm. I must admit, I similarly hit a roadblock with it that I fortunately overcame because the roguelike genre in yes. me don't get on, Scott.
1: Oh, dude, you're telling me.
2: Like, I feel like I break yeah. it every single time I play it because right. with this game, like many roguelikes, like Hades, <laughs> like Returnal, you know, you're getting fed parts of the mystery through failed runs. You're You're supposed to lose. You're supposed to lose to get hints for the puzzles, and you need those puzzle items in this game uh, to kind of progress the story. Uh, I didn't know that because whilst I hit a roadblock earlier on, I'm going to do the (laughs) humble brag thing that I did. I got stuck in the second area for three or four turns, and then I did the second area, the third boss, and the final boss all in one go. (laughs) So I thought I'd completed the game in... On one hand, that was incredible because Uh it gave me one of my favorite gaming moments of the year when I beat the final boss Mm. in that run because it was one of those situations where I don't mind rerunning things in roguelikes, but when I've done something the first time like that and I kind of know I'm onto a really lucky run where I could just wrap it all up right there, the the stakes are high, right? Because I'm going to have to relearn the second boss. I'm going to have to relearn the third area. And I've only had one pass through them. Mm. So I'm in this final area, completely underpowered with a deck that I've built. And I'm incredibly focused on which cards I'm going to play. And just that kind of consideration. I don't play chess, but it was the closest (laughs) thing to playing chess that I've ever experienced in video game form.
1: There's so many things. The amount of praise that you give an Inscription, the conversations we've had as we've both been going through it, and the part of the design that you're latching onto, you would love deck builders. You would love Midnight Suns or whatever. I th- something like that, a Hearthstone, a Magic the Gathering. Maybe, but... calls to you, the my friend. The issue is, this was
2: so satisfying because it felt like an ending. Because it right. felt like... I wasn't excited to beat the boss oh. and then go through everything again just to be better. You know what I mean? It felt yeah. thrilling because it felt like I'd managed to play a really good hand all the way through these areas Mm. that should have killed me and wanted me dead, but I've managed to complete it, if that makes sense. I don't know if other card builders have that same sense of finality, but the finality is what made that um, engaging to me. Because when eventually, you know, no spoilers, but when you do beat that final boss, that's not the end of that section. You need to rerun it a few more times with certain items and whatnot. So when I had to go through for the second and third time, that's when I kind of thought, I actually wouldn't like deck builders maybe because just the core gameplay isn't getting me. It's when there are stakes. It's when there's something on the line and when I can finish... A run to perfection mm-hmm. or whatever it is. No, there's
1: definitely, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that there's a lot more game, yeah. uh, other than even the way you're playing for that, uh, that entity thing that you're fighting against. For that, that's like the, let's just say it's the first third. Yes. There's a lot more going on in Inscription, which is why it's incredible. I'm, I'm in the, like I said, the back third where things have completely changed and I'm just like, okay, this is a whole other thing that I need to figure out. Um, But yeah, that whole idea of like injecting narratives into roguelikes is definitely something that the likes of Hades was held up for doing incredibly well. Um, but, it's hilarious or fun or interesting or whatever that you can break it if you're good enough. Because on the game design side, they can't roadblock you too much because yeah. then you might be too aware of it and say, Well, I need to fail this encounter. And everyone hates those kind of encounters. So they're kind of relying on a certain level of like the average player or whatever, not, you know, bumping up against some sort of limit so they can give you a bit more story so that when you do finally break through, it's way more satisfying. Yeah. Which I know is what broke Hades because you were like, I just got all the way to the end and did it.
2: And it was the same here. And I was pleased <laughs> I had some advice because I was just kind of, you know, when you you Get on to a winning tactic or mm. what you think is a winning tactic in a video game, and it works once, and then you just don't want to deviate right. from it because you know it works. Yes, this was what happened with me uh, after I beat that boss one time. I thought, Well, I can do it. And the cards that I was unlocking, because you can get extra cards for your deck if you solve some of the puzzles around the cabin, uh-huh. like I wasn't, I, I didn't like them, they didn't make uh. my deck any better. So I assumed that everything that you could get in the cabin was going to be supplementary and not integral to doing well. So right. I was was rerunning um, this game with the core abilities that I had at the start. And while I got to the end boss one more time and got killed ultimately, Mm. I just was frustrated and lost because I was thinking, well, what, I don't understand what the game wants me to do. I have beaten this this boss once Uh and I haven't really got close since. And I was like, what's, like, I didn't understand because I'd won. I felt like I could win again. <laughs> right. And that wasn't true. I needed to solve the puzzles in the cabin. And it was only talking with your friend of mine, Ash Millman, mm-hmm. where I was saying, what does this game want from me? I don't understand <laughs> what Tell I me need what you to want. do. Where Ash was like, she kind of pointed out and made me realize it was a me problem. She was saying, well, you know, if, if you're hitting a roadblock, have you have you solved the puzzles? Yeah, now, what else I'm, has the
1: game got available to you?
2: Exactly, what else has the game got available? And I said, no, I shouldn't <laughs> need to solve the puzzles because I'm good enough I can get through it. And she was saying, Josh... If, if the game is giving you a roadblock... It you, yeah, and it's, and it's throwing you up other content, check out that other content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And once I got that advice through my thick skull, <laughs> I managed to uh, uh, get progress in the game. So mm-hmm. once I got over that roadblock, it was. I thought the rest of the game was amazing. I just right. thought it was worth flagging that because I think you and I both have different issues with roguelike structures mm. and... With Returnal, with Hades, and with this, um, it's been a case of I felt like I've skipped content and as a result have been kind of thrown off in otherwise expertly paced experience. Well,
1: that's the thing, right? I mean, like, that idea of pacing being contingent on player skill. And then, like, because I, like, I mean, for um, Inscription's case, I got right to the end of the first third, the first third boss, and then died in the very end, which broke all the narrative because then the characters stopped giving me the dialogue, and yeah. it just it just didn't work. Um, and it's kind of the same thing with Hades. Once you've kind of hit credits on that, or the initial, like, time you escape or whatever, um, the game kind of just mm-hmm. goes, like, like it just goes whatever, like do do whatever you want, and it's like, am I is it done? Like, have I beat this? And then they, for me, that was the only knock against Hades was that you kind of had to realize on your own accord that you need to beat it nine more times. Yeah, so you have ten in total, and then you get more scenes and the dialogue changes. But I was just like, that didn't feel satisfying to me. Um, but yeah, the idea of like story based roguelikes where they're like fundamentally told in that way, I think, is a, quite a new thing. That's why Hades was sort of held up. You should try uh, Darkest Dungeon. Uh, yes. I don't know if you've tried that. I haven't, but it's always been on my radar, but I've never actually gotten around to it. That's the game that uh, a lot of people really struggle with, and there's not necessarily a character-driven story in that, but there's a lot of lore, and there's a lot of... It's just really, really well conceptualized, but a lot of people <laughs> bounce off even the first couple of dungeons because it's so unforgiving. Yeah. But with you, you'll beat it straight away, and it'll be really fun.
2: I won't now. It's, it'll be Jinx, but I just <laughs> thought it was a... I thought this was a particularly funny experience because mm. there's a, there's a, such a thrill. It's, it's why I love and hate roguelikes Because there's a thrill of getting through something that you shouldn't be getting through at this point. And I love that feeling. And like you said there, the way that modern roguelikes especially integrate the story into the actual Mechanics in the cyclical nature of them. Mm. those mechanics, I think, is just incredible at hiding mysteries. You know, yes. say what you want about the gameplay of Returnal Scott Tailford, but the fact that that kept offering up, you know, was really good twists bit. and variations on the story and the environments and the characters and the weapons, mm-hmm. similar to how Haiti um, achieved it through the dialogue with the gods or certain bosses who would repeat, but then also not really repeat because there may be new characters. <laughs> uh, like that element of it just keeps you wanting to get that one more run. You yeah. know, contextualize what you're doing and I will love you forever. It's why, <laughs> like I said, you know, why on paper a deck builder isn't for me, but when you contextualize it within this narrative in inscription where I know this is final, this is the final quote-unquote mm. boss, I have stakes, that's when something is elevated for me because a gameplay loop is good, uh, but a reason, to, a, comp, a reason to
1: partake in that gameplay loop is even better. I think Midnight Suns is definitely for you in that case. I think Darkest Dungeon is a really fun counter to how good you are at, get, at getting through stuff sometimes. I think the way that like games can serve up mechanics, you seem to be, to be able to navigate that um, definitely better than I can. I think Darkest Dungeon will be an interesting challenge for you. Um, Slay the Spire gets brought up a lot as like a, another sort of like card-based um, like injection of narrative game. Mm. Um, but I've barely played Sl- uh, Slay the Spire. I do have it downloaded, but I've barely done anything for that. But that might be another one to check out. I mean, anyone, anyone can get in touch and let us know what they think of various roguelikes with stories that have deck building mechanics in them. (laughs) Because um, that's an emerging market at some point. Um, but yes, for now, this has been the windup. We'll do a video on Inscription because I feel like it's one of the most recommendable games overall and just worth highlighting. We did a video last year, the best game of 2021 that no one played for, Pray for the Gods, which I absolutely love, like Shadow of the Colossus meets Breath of the Wild. And we'll try and do um, that for Inscription. Um, for now, massive apologies for the state of my vocals. I'll have edited out most of the coughs, <laughs> but there'll be some in there because I just couldn't keep them out. Um, we'll keep them in. Um, but yes, for now, this has been the up. I've been Scott Taylor, joined by John Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Till. Always it. a pleasure to be heard by all of you. And we'll catch you next week. Bye.
0: Goodbye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.